Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and with me, a special guest, Scott. Oh, my God. Uh, I should have asked how to say your last name. Miller? Millard. 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 As, it's, okay. as it's written. All right. Perfect. I'm usually really bad at that. Uh, so, Scott, uh, this is the point of the podcast where I ask our guests, such as yourself, uh, to introduce yourself to the listeners out there, who you are, where you've been, where you're at, and where you're heading. Okay. Well, well Brandon, thanks very much for having me. Um, uh, my name is Scott Millard, as we uh, as we, we discovered. But um, uh, essentially, I'm the uh, managing director of uh, Fiademic. And uh, Fiademic is a publishing label uh, engaged in the sacred business of publishing games. And we're an offshoot of um, Bloober Team, although we're, we're fairly new. Um, we are an offshoot of Bloober Team, and people may know Bloober Team from Layers of Fear, from uh, from The Observer, from Blair Witch, and uh, uh, the up-and-coming uh, game, The Medium. Now, um, I've b- before coming to the world of independent games, I mean, I've been in the games industry for a very, very long time. I got my start at uh, a company called Sega, which was uh, several years later bought by Infograms, uh, which was then renamed Atari and then sold to uh, uh, Namco Bandai. And by the end of that sort of run of 15 years or so, uh, I was the managing director of Namco Bandai in Southeast Asia and in Korea. Um, I left that and uh, pursued a, a, a consultancy helping other uh, companies such as uh, Bethesda um, uh, uh, set up their distribution uh, throughout Asia, Turtle Beach, um, and uh, THQ. And I've come to Poland specifically because Poland is kind of like the, the development epicenter of the, the, the independent games world or the, the mainstream games world at the moment. I mean, there's a lot of fantastic games and content coming here. And then pandemic struck. So, <laughs> so that's, that's where I've been and where I'm at at the moment. Oh, man, you, you have quite the resume uh, and uh, many years in the industry. And this is very interesting. The main meat of the topic I, I do want to talk to you about is distributed work. But uh, as we have discussed, you know, we'll go off tangent because you have such a breadth of experience in the game industry. Um, for Demic, as you mentioned, and I think I've read somewhere on, on your website that you guys, are, you guys pretty much started at the beginning of this pandemic. <laughs> I mean, was it, <laughs> was it around there or was the, at least the, the gem idea was before the pandemic how, how did that outcome to place uh well, well the actual the actual honest answer to that is that fiademic is, is, a, is an older company it's been around for some time in fact fiademic was the original blooper team um and uh it was called work wh or wfh games work for higher games and and that's how blooper team got their start basically you know uh working for 
for other, other other companies. And then, um, you know, another company was created and Fiodemic sort of sat there dormant for a long time. Um, but yes, just before the um, our pandemic, we kind of were finding our legs uh, 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 and getting organised and, and suddenly, you know, pandemic came along and, um, you know, we were forced to kind of, uh, um, you know, rethink how we did things. But, you know, I suppose I do have to preface the sort of, you know, um, uh, difficulties that we've had with the fact that, you know, we've, we've been very, very lucky um, that, you know, we work in an industry that's allowed us to continue working. Um, uh, so many people have had such a rough time of this. Um, they've lost their jobs, they've lost their businesses or, um, uh, or worse or, or, or lost their loved ones. So, you know, really, I mean, um, the games industry has been, you know, very, very fortunate to, to, to be able to sort of um, transition into a sort of a, a, a work from home environment but you know so 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 that said i mean you know it, it, there has been some some interesting challenges as well as um uh some interesting opportunities that are sort of that, that is you know uh, that have kind of appeared out of this sort of difficult situation yeah i mean uh, our industry has been kind of resilient um for the very reason that you know we've been mostly digitized um I think back to 2008, the, 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 the housing market crash, uh, we were somewhat recession proof where I, I felt like uh, developers were still working. We were still delivering things on deadlines. Um, and that didn't really hit us as hard as other industries. And the same with this in a weird way, uh, you know, I, I would hear family and friends losing their jobs and not being able to work or having the transition being so tough where, you know, the companies had to figure things out and basically uh, everyone had to be on furlough and, and just had to wait around. Right. Industry didn't, our game industry hasn't really missed a beat um, and just continue working. Um, so uh, there seems to be a lot of factors towards that. I think you were in the thick of it. Would you kind of, kind of talk about, you know, that transitional, of course there were challenges. It wasn't, it wasn't so easy, but like, what were the challenges that you guys were facing that the whole world can relate to? Yeah, well, I think you know, um, initially it felt like opportunity. So we um, uh, essentially had to rethink the way that we did things. We didn't feel restrained by uh, a physical environment in, anymore. Um, you know, it kind of we were looking for team to build uh, build on our team or build on our skill base um, in the area of, of publishing um, here in Krakow in Poland. And suddenly, it didn't feel like we needed to hire people in Krakow anymore. Um, uh, it was like, well, we. Can just basically hire them anywhere. I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter whether they're here or whether they're in another another Polish city, whether they're in Germany or, or, or wherever. So that was an interesting sort of way of looking at it. And we, we sort of also found that um, when it came to, to porting, um, you know, usually, uh, you know, Polish companies find other Polish companies to help them with um, uh, with porting. And that, you know, has been sort of the history of, of Bluebird Team and, and Fiodemic earlier or late, you know, into the uh, the end of last year. But we kind of um, sort of felt like, well, we don't really need to. And, um, and a strange thing happened. We ended up um, finding a, co- a company called Dreamloop, which were in Finland. And, um, uh, uh, you know, we liked them. We really liked what they'd done before. We really liked what they told us. And we, we, we kind of felt comfortable to take that gamble working with them. And it's been an absolute dream to work with them. Um, they're, they're aptly named, by the way. Um, 
it has been fantastic working with them. And, and interestingly enough, I mean, you know, we, we, we got very lucky in that Finland has not been that, that, that badly affected by coronavirus. So the team have been able to go to the office every day. They've been able to work together um, and not really have any delays uh, in the, the whole process. So we've been able to sort of get, you know, meet all our deadlines and, um, uh, and be sort of on track to, to release Dark Complete Edition uh, on the 4th of December, which is just, you know, fantastic. Um, one, one thing that did come up, though, and, and that everyone um, uh, would have uh, no doubt experienced in this throughout the pandemic is that, you know, in, in agreements, there's usually um, some type of um, clause that allows, you know, for, for wars or, or strange events to happen, um, uh, uh, you know, th- then all bets are off. So, you know, you, you can sort of, uh, I think it's for like force majeure. Um, and we had different lawyers trying to add pandemic into into this sort of clause okay no 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 no. we cannot um because obviously you know the moment you add that into a contract and you are in a pandemic um you know everything's sort of all bets are off so that was sort of kind of one interesting experience of of, of you know um signing contracts throughout the pandemic i mean you have to be careful that, that that's not involved in it because it sort of like completely cancels out your contract um so 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 getting back to to finland we were, we were extremely lucky that um you know finland didn't experience the um uh, pandemic that, that 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 harshly but the other thing that, that that came up that we just weren't expecting and um you know, for example, in the, in the porting process of uh, any game or dark complete edition, what we would normally do is towards the end of the port, once we start getting builds and before we put them in for certification, we would go to the developer and we would move the developer to the studio, get, get him to go to the studio and, um, you know, and, and play through the builds, check the builds, make sure that they are in line with, with um, his original version or vision. And um, uh, uh, and uh, then sign them off before they go off to certification. So we got to that stage, and it was like, oh, how are we going to do this? Um, because Vlad's in Los Angeles, the porting house is in Finland. We can't put him on a plane. Um, we asked, and he said, "There's no way I'm going on a plane." <laughs> and fair enough. Um, so you know, we we had to sort of think about, okay, well, how do we do this? And so um, my first reaction was, okay, can I find some dev kits to borrow or, or uh, uh, in Los Angeles? And I called everyone I could think of, and no one had any dev kits um, that they were willing to lend me. So um, my second plan B wants to um, go and raid the cupboard. And I know that there were some dev kits sitting in the cupboard that have been collecting dust because everyone's moved on to the next gen. And I thought, okay, I'll just put them in a box and send them over. And uh, uh, Vlad from Unfold can check the build and sign it all off. Um, I asked the legal team and I said, Look, by the way, I'm just going to do this, right? This is a pandemic, right? This should be all right. And they're like, absolutely not. These uh, the, these kids are not leaving the building. They are we are unable to allow them to leave the building because we would be in breach of our agreements. I'm like oh, okay, so um, I had to go to uh, I'll, I'll say one platform holder, and I said one platform holder. This is the dilemma that I'm in, and I explained it all. I read it all down, and there was like three days of silence, and and I could tell they were just looking at this guy. Are these guys crazy? I mean, what do you mean? They need a dev kit. What, what do you mean? They they need to borrow a dev kit, and um, uh, but eventually that it, it sort of kind of sunk in, and I got a response back that sort of said, "We've looked at your situation. I will lend 
Vlad from Unfold Games, my personal dev kit. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you. And then I'm like, oh, man, that's fantastic. That is like the most amazing thing I've heard. And um, so uh, uh, 24 hours later, I get another email. And the email is, we've looked. This company doesn't have a, an NDA with us. And I'm like, going, well, of course, of, of course not. We're, we're, doing the, we're doing the publishing and we're the port. They're the developer. I mean, if they had an NDA and they had dev kits, I mean, why would they need us to do the port? Mm-hmm. And they're like, mm, okay. Um, so silence for another 24 hours, 48 hours. And um, then they came back and said, oh, we've got another idea. How about this? We're going to set up a special branch uh, uh, for the game. You actually send it through certification and we publish it to the store and only he can see it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this, is, this sounds fantastic. So um, we go through this whole process. And, uh, of course, you know, it's never as easy as it seems. They want to actually certify the actual build. They want to certify the store assets, everything, uh, just to get this one person to have a look at the game. But but eventually we did, we were able to um, uh, set up that but one game in the store that he could see and he was able to download it and test the build. And, and, and uh, um, you know, and thank God that that happened because he was able to sort of see things, I mean, obviously from his perspective that, that the porting team had missed and, um, you know, they were able to sort of, you know, make sure that, that certain things were there that, that weren't there previously. So, so, um, so, so that was sort of kind of, um, you know, a really... A good example of, I suppose, you know, platform or platform holders who really, you know, don't know Fiademic or from Barbara. So, uh, other than sort of, you know, us talking to them on a daily basis, um, you know, they're going out of their way and really thinking about how can we help these guys. So, I was super impressed with that. Um, uh, Not every platform holder has been like that, I must admit. Some of them have been very, like, you know, not interested, um, you know, sort it out for yourself. Um, but, uh, um, uh, but, you know, some of them, one of them has been incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an important point. Like the, the, the tail end of building a game is one of the challenges I am seeing a lot with, uh, publishers, uh, with, uh, individuals with remote teams, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to hardware, that's where where people kind of pause a bit. Um, there is this illusion at the beginning of the pandemic where everybody's like, well, I just can keep creating art. Uh, I've been doing that. What's the difference if I do it on my own computer versus the company's computer? Uh, but like in the background, there was like a, I think a month or two uh, uh, break uh, like pumping the brakes for big publishers, big companies to be like, hey, let's hold on, let's figure out this infrastructure. And where before uh, there wasn't an incentive, there was interest, right? A lot of people were like, can I work from home on Fridays or Thursday? There's always that. And, mm-hmm. you know, rightfully denied. It's like, no, <laughs> right? But now that everyone's forced into this uh, situation where they're going to have to adapt, uh, big companies are already investing in ways to make things work, uh, including dev kits, which is a huge piece of important proprietary hardware uh, that mm-hmm. not ever they can't willy nilly send everyone one um, because it used to be like in a cubicle of five, six people or a department, they have one dev kit kind of shoot a build over and test it out. You know, how do you do that remotely? So these are the type of challenges I am hearing. Uh, and from your own experience that people are echoing throughout the industry is like, all right, I mean, the first part, 
there's an easier solution but this end part actually like testing the game uh where you know there's a lot of trust that has to come with that and security uh that not a lot of companies before at least were set up to do and now they have to figure it out which is i see like what the challenges are the last couple of months especially um now that everyone has a company hardware to kind of work from or they're doing remote working they're like actually going through vpn and doing remote desktop from their own mm-hmm. you know computer desktop that they had at the office right so there's no data saved on a personal computer there's a lot of tricks now that never were considered before that i'm very thankful in hearing that studios are like all right let's set this up let's do this right there's a way we've just been avoiding yeah. it because we didn't have to before yeah, I think, you know, and again, I'm not really, you know, involved in the development process. I'm sort of the, the, the publishing side, but I mean, I hear everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'm, there are some roles within the studio, with, be it creative or art roles, that have really worked, that, that have found the um, uh, freedom of working from home a positive experience. On the other hand, there are those that are not enjoying it. And, um, you know, those that that, that sort of need the input of everyone else, like the the, the programmers that need to understand who is doing what bit and where, you know, who's contributing what, uh, who's rebuilding this today or or whatever, who's doing that plugin and is that plugin working with this? This process is kind of slowing down. And and you're right to point out that that last uh, part of it, especially once you get into the ports and you're starting to port all the, uh, to all the different platforms, um, you know, it kind of is a collaborative effort, you know, yeah. and, and the dev kits have, and especially on the console side, um, and I don't know whether you've noticed, but certainly I have, um, you know, holiday 2020 turned into Q1 2021, you know, for yeah. most games. Um, and it's all because of that last mile and, and, and particularly in console and that porting process, um, it is extremely difficult. And, and, and a lot of the, and the, the, the sort of the, um, uh, uh, development agreements that you have with the platform holders don't allow you to move these dev kits around as easily as they were, uh, as easily, easily as they need to be in this situation. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, from my discussions with um, uh, the developers that I know, I mean, they're telling me that they're still, I mean, they're complaining about this um, and, and there seems to be nothing, no one seems to be prepared to budge to allow, to allow those dead kids to start moving around. Now, um, now I know just from past experience that, that, yeah, I mean, people pick them up and move them around all the time, but they do it kind of, you know, artificially. And I mean, and look, no one's going to, you know, yell at Bethesda because they're demoing Skyrim on a, on a um, on a dev kit in a hotel room somewhere to, to media, but um, uh, you know, officially they're sort of saying, you know, no, 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 you still can't take these dev kits away. Um, you know, even the next generation dev kits. Um, you know, I'm hearing, you know, that the, there's a lot of restrictions on who can get access to them and who can't. So they're certainly not prepared to allow people to sort of, you know, you know, send one to the you know their developers or send one over to their porting house. Um, you know, it, it is very difficult. So, um, so you know, that's I, I think where the, the major issues have lied or have or have been over the past few months is you know um, as everyone sort of moved towards that Christmas season and all these games are supposed to be ready, it's sort of been well, it's, this is not this is not working the way that it should. Uh, so uh, you know. But, you know, hopefully Cyberpunk will be here on the 10th of December. We'll all be happy again. Yeah. Uh, 
the, the I, I totally agree with you. The, that last part is something I I feel like the industry as a whole is, is figuring out right now. Um, the beginning part too were, was an issue, and I, I think a lot of it from 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 talking to experts like yourselves and and having people on the show. Um, it seems to be like a personality trait too for people who are really good at working from home and people who are not. Um, and it seems like, uh, yeah, like you said, like people just tend to work better in an environment where they're surrounded by their peers and just the clear division of working in home life, uh, definitely helps switch that mentality. At least, uh, you know, commuting to the office helps them get into that mode. And most people are really struggling with that. Uh, I do want to ask you, um, a a general question just to kind of backtrack, you know, we, we kind of throw the terminology distributed work, um, which is, has been around for a while, the last year and a half especially have been more popular. But for those listeners who don't know what distributed work means, can you kind of define that a little bit just to give a general overview of what that is um, so people can, can, can follow along? Well, essentially, at the end of the day, it is, you know, um, uh, uh, dicing, slicing and dicing the, um, the overall work jobs and distributing them to people in remote locations. Um, now, um, you know, you know, I, I will say the one thing that is pretty interesting here, because we deal with a lot of independent developers, and certainly when this pandemic started, a lot of them said to me, you know, oh, Scott, it's no problems for us because this is what we do all the time, right? We, we, I, I, I've been working from home for working from home for, for years, developing, uh, doing consulting or doing, you know, building games. And, you know, all my team works remotely. So this is not a problem. But what the problem has been is that everyone's home too. It's not just you anymore sitting yeah. in your, your home office. You've got kids on Zoom. You've got, you know, uh, uh, you know trying to organise them, trying to organise their, their classes and, you know, you can't go out for a walk or blow off steam in a restaurant at night or go to the pub. All that stuff is off. You are literally now a captive in your home and uh, with, uh, with the rest of your family. So that kind of has been a real a challenge for a lot of people who have, uh, um, you know, had to sort of transition from being out from working from home to working with family at home. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, but generally, I mean, the games industry has been pretty good at distributed work because I mean, a lot of the time, um, uh, you know, there's always a lot of outsourcing that's happening, but um, within those teams of outsourcing, I mean, you know, again, I mean, you pointed, you hit the nail on the head. Some people are good at it. Uh, are good at working um, uh, with them, themselves on their own clock, um, and some people just aren't for you know various different reasons. Um, but um, uh, uh, you know, but at, at the end of the day, I mean, everyone's sort of kind of you know living and learning through this. It's what's going to be really interesting is whether we choose to go back to what we were doing before, um, and uh, uh, you know, and, and I think. Um, you know, a, a country like where I'm in at the moment, Poland, um, it's not as sort of um, open to uh, uh, work from home as, say, the US is or, or, or other countries are. It's still very much a place where, well, certainly before the pandemic, where people would go to the office, people would go to the studio and everyone would work together um, as a sort of a, as a sort of a, a group or a unit. Um, so, so it's going to be really interesting to see whether people go back to, uh, go back to that. Um, but, you know, um, getting back to your point, I mean, as far as distributed work goes, um, you know, 
the, the games industry or the software industry in general is pretty good at that, um, you know, because we've been doing it for a very long, long time. But, um, you know, I, I think, I mean, there's a, there's a real difference to how we distributed work previously to how we distribute work now because, you know, again, because there's so many other things that are, that, that are happening in people's homes uh, other than just work. Yeah, and um, all these different factors that are kind of pushing people to head back to work, right? <laughs> like I, I want, I need, I need to get, get away from my family. That's my, my, my break. And you know, some people use that <laughs> as an excuse, but uh, kind of to use that as a jumping off point, like, you know, there's a couple of vaccines already in the works. It's probably going to be six months till, you know, first, first public people are, are able to access it. And, and it, it takes even longer than that for people to, to fully adapt it where everyone's taking it, where it takes effect. Right. Um, you know, what, what kind of conversations are you hearing through friends and network, yourself, your company, uh, to provide us a little more insight of what is life after the pandemic? Is it going to be a hybrid approach? Is it going to be mostly distributed and remote? Uh, like, what, what kind of conversations are you hearing uh, to kind of relate to the listeners out there? Uh, you, you know, really, I mean, just, just my team and just <laughs> our internal arrangement, everyone wants to get back to the office. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think we all kind of miss that sort of, uh, collaborative, uh, collaborative sort of effort of being able to walk down to the, uh, walk down to finance and sort something out or, or, or go over to, you know, 2D art or go up to QA department and, uh, um, uh, get some advice on a problem. I mean, we all really miss that. I mean, especially, I mean, um, uh, uh, I, I can just, I can definitely, certainly speak to um, the um, uh, examples in, in game publishing. I mean, we are uh, uh, basically charged with, with, with marketing and um, sales and, and that process, it really is a collaborative process. It really is a sort of like, you know, to understand what the marketing team's doing, what the programmatic team's doing and be able to sort of meet on a daily sort of basis and, 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 um, uh, really toss around some ideas. It just is not the same on zoom. I suppose it was okay for, for you know, the first couple of months, but you know, after, uh, you know, <laughs> after nine months now, it's getting really tired, uh, and we're really, really struggling to sort of, you know, um, keep up, keep up the sort of, you know, the pace and the enthusiasm, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So, and that's just internally. So we're, we're dying to get back in the office and talk to each other again. Externally, the other thing that we, we are doing, we're, we, we are doing on a day-to-day -day basis is we're looking for games to publish. And, you know, before pandemic, we would be at Games Connection. We would be, you know, um, uh, at E3, we'd be at Gamescom. We'd be all these places talking to people, finding out what they're doing, what new games are coming, um, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, scouring the floor for, for, you know, independent games. And, we can't do that now. So we're kind of like basically, you know, every day surfing the internet and sending blind emails to people, um, you know, asking for them, you know, Hey, you, you're looking for a publisher. Um, and, and, and so I think, you know, from that respect, it, it's kind of difficult as well. And I think as soon as this pandemic is over, as soon as we um, can get back on a plane again, I think this industry is going to be running out the door, running to an airport and running to a show near you um, uh, to, you know, to get out again and, and, and meet like-minded people and look for, for new games to, 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 to publish. Um, so, uh, so, so I think, you know, there's, there's two Two, two sides of it there. We all want to get back to the office and we all want to get back to, um, you know, uh, E3 next year or Gamescom or however soon uh, soon we can get somewhere else. 
so kind of um kind of use that to talk about the next thing uh you're, you're mentioning you know indie game publishing mm-hmm. what, what are the differences are you seeing besides uh of course going to these uh, conventions to kind of meet these potential indie developers to publish uh what other differences are you seeing right now? Um, because I think the common misconception, there's one side where there's so many games that are always out. So there's always a fear, I think, for game developers to be like, you know, can I offer something new? Can Is it viable? Is it something that I can get published? Uh, to to some, when, when I talk to publishers, you, you know, like yourself, you're always talking about... We're looking for more indie games to publish. There's not a shortage of ga- indie games to publish, at least good games, right? Uh, would you kind of like give us a clear picture of wh- why why is there such a discrepancy uh, from game developers themselves feeling a certain way, and then to actual people with the money wanting to publish these type of games? Well, the simple answer to that is the people with the money want to publish Fortnite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the, 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 so there's, there's only one Fortnite, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, look, that's a really interesting question. And, you know, it kind of, it's, it's almost like, you know, you hear it all the time. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm you know, trying to fill these positions in my office, you know, uh, you know we're, we're a famous company and yet I can't find anyone to fill these roles. And yet you go and talk to people who talk to, to talk to kids that have no jobs and they say, well, we can't find a job. And yeah. there seems to be, there's always this, this mismatch. And I think, you know, there's a lot of games out there. Um, but as a publisher, you kind of looking for the one, the one that sort of kind of that you can, um, that fits with your company, um, thesis and that, uh, has a potential to cut through because I mean, there's so many games out there. I mean, the barrier to entry now, um, to creating games, it, it, it has sort of kind of dropped all the tools are available. Um, uh, uh, uh you know, you, uh, you can download a copy of Unreal, a unity and, and off you go and you can, you can create a PC game. So there's no shortage of games going and being released, but what, um, you know, the, 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 the trick is finding the one that has something unique about it that is going to be able to get people interested in engage an audience. Um, uh, that's kind of the, the, the trick. And, you know, anyone that tells you what they, they know what that recipe is, um, is a liar because, you know, in, in all the years that I've been in the, in the games business, um, you know, I've never met anyone that can pick a winner all the time. Um, you know, sometimes you can pick a winner, but, uh, uh, you know, it is very, very difficult. Um, you know, uh, um, it, it, there's, there's, there's a lot of games out there at the moment that have not been able to find an audience that if they did find an audience, you know, that they, they ha- you know, could have been a lot bigger than they were. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, it's tough. I mean, I've got a, a dozens and dozens of stories about, you know, games that came across my desk that, you know, just didn't look that impressive and, you know, no one really wanted it. They turned out to be absolute, you know, enormous games. So, um, um, you know, it's, it's very, very hard to tell, but you're always looking for this something special and you don't know what that something special is. And it's really hard to recognize. Um, and, uh, sometimes you've got to be lucky and sometimes you are lucky and sometimes you get something without even knowing that it's, that, that it's special, but then when you've got it, you turns into something special. So uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a great industry and that's what makes it so exciting. But um, one of the, one of the things that, that, that everyone um, indie, indie games publishers always, or oh, developers are always asking me is sort of like, you know, well, why do I need a publisher for? 
um, why do why do I need you? And it's sort of like, well, um, you don't. You can publish your own game quite easily. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, because we are engaged in the process of sales and marketing and have been for many, many years, we're probably better at it than you. Um, the same way that, you know, you're probably better at developing a game than I am because I have no idea how to use Unity. Um, but, um, uh, and, and that at the end of the day is it. It's very hard to be um, good at everything. You can either be good at developing games and organizing your um, team of developers or you can be good at packaging them up and uh, bringing them to market. You, it's very, very difficult to be both. What what percentage would you say uh, when when coming across something special is attributed to the content or the team? Uh, is there a formula there that sometimes usually works for you, or is it purely about I don't? You, you guys can be faceless developers. Let me see the end result, or is it vice versa? I mean, how, how much of that is a combination of the two? Yeah, I, you know, um, I think the answer to that kind of is uh, lies in the fact that people buy studios all the time. Mm-hmm. And they buy studios because of the experience that that team has rather than putting together one of their own. Um, I think if you look at any studio that's had a, um, a a big hit or a successful game and you have a look what they've done already, you will find that that successful game is not their first. It's There's been quite a few beforehand um, that they've done that have uh, allowed them to find a rhythm, to understand each other and and really sort of get inside each other's heads and know how to how to work together to deliver something that's got some sort of spark. And, um, you know, one of, one of the things about Bloober Team is a good example of that. I mean, Layers of Fear was kind of um, like sort of seemed to come out of nowhere, but Bloober Team had been doing work for hire before that and they had another game before that. Um, so uh, very rarely do you find a game that's someone's first game that's been successful. Um, uh, there, there is, of course, examples of that. Dark, complete edition, or Dark, um, D-A-R-Q. Um, this is a game we're publishing. That um, was Vlad's first game. This is his first foray into actually development, and he did everything himself. Um, and um, it's been one of the the, the, the the most successful indie games of the last 12 months. So um, um, there's always exceptions to the rule, and that's what makes this business so exciting. But generally speaking, it's the, the chances of a team, uh, a small team, team or a uh, or a large team you know having a hit game their first game is you know very very uh it's very small what kind of uh cautionary tales that you can relay just from experience just from how you've seen you know there was a spark and then didn't it didn't come to fruition or or vice versa it wasn't you didn't think much of it but then it became a huge success like how much of that uh can you uh help formulate with these these developers um that that eventually became something um, yeah, well, I think the, the, the classic story that I have um, is um, uh, I think the, well, the most well-known story is um, that of, of The Witcher, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned earlier I was with Atari, and if you had bought the first Witcher on PC, you would have seen the Atari logo in the, 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 the bottom left-hand corner. Now, 
they came to Atari because they'd been everywhere else and Atari was their last port of call <laughs> um, and nobody else wanted that game. And, you know, if you can imagine um, the, the market around that time, World of Warcraft had just come out and everyone had gone, ah, ev- that's it, you know, it's all about multiplayer. Who No one's going to want to play a single game ever again. And so, you know, CD Projekt come knocking on everyone's door with this single-player game <laughs> that um, was, you know, um, based on a, on a book written by an author that outside of Poland no one really knew. Um, and also it was kind of their first game as well. So the chances of it being successful were, I mean, the odds were stacked against it. Um, and uh, and the way the deal was struck, it was, you know, reflected that. Um, and I remember meeting, them, meeting those guys in, in Leipzig the first time and we were kind of like, oh, yeah, right. Um, okay, we'll do our best. Um, and, you know, I remember going home and the stock arrived in Asia and, um, you know, and I'd been very, very conservative because I didn't want to have a warehouse full of, full of games. Um, and literally it was all gone on the first day and I'm sitting there scratching my head going, oh my God, what is this thing? <laughs> and, you know, my sales guy at the time, he's like, you know, man, I've just read the book. The book is fantastic. This is amazing. Um, and, uh, and it kind of started that way. So, um, you know, I don't think, you know, within Atari at that particular point in time there was no expectation that the witcher was going to be a huge hit um it was an interesting game um and um but it was single play you know time where everyone thought that multiplayer was the way um so so that sort of kind of turned out to be a, a, a sort of a a good story um uh just staying with the triple a's and uh, uh, uh you know another one was was rage the first time i saw rage i thought that was going to be a huge hit it mm-hmm. looked like it, the most fantastic thing ever i mean it was id's first new ip in a long long time and um and uh you know what i saw of it the gameplay was just really great the graphics were fantastic i mean you know for its time it looked great but it came out and it, bombed, it was yeah. a disaster. Um, I had pallets and pallets and pallets of stock all over, all over um, Asia. And I was just stuck with it. Um, so that was, you know, that, that was a, you know, the, almost the opposite of the Witcher. Um, so, uh, uh, but luckily Skyrim came shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, um, so, so yeah, it, it is, it is really, really hard. I mean, another more recently, I mean, you know, uh, I've, I've been speaking to indie developers, they're, they're, you know, talking about, okay, well, how do I fund my game projects? Um, you know, should I get a publisher to give me money? And I keep on saying to them, look, publisher giving you an advance against sales is probably the last thing that you want to do. Um, that's absolutely the last option because it, there's a couple of things that happen here. It, it means that, you know, the revenue that you get from the game um, is kicked way down the road um, until that debt is paid off. Um, so, you know, you can be six, seven months without revenue after you drop the game and, and you know, because you, you've already been paid the money. Um, and, uh, uh, and that's when you really need the money anyway as you're sort of starting a new project. But and the other thing that can happen uh, as well is if you accept money from a publisher uh, in an advance, your relationship can change as well. Um, and uh, you know, in my experience, I've seen this happen before, where the relationship goes from um, you know uh, the, the publisher sort of developer relationship to almost like client and customer, and or this customer client relationship. Whereas, like, oh, hang on, you know. Um, 
you know, because the publisher is the one paying all the salaries and delivering the delivering the uh, uh, money every month. Um, you know, the developer sort of finds itself um, completely enslaved to the project, and anything the developers, the publisher says, they they're implementing it. You know, so they lose control of that um, the whole process, and and it's not no longer theirs anymore. Um, it's no longer their dream. They're not making their dream. They're making what the publisher you know tells them that they should make so that they can achieve the milestone and get paid. Um, uh, so look, it's it's, it's kind of complicated. Um, you know, and, and get back to your original point. I mean, you know, finding that magic spark, my God, it, it is really, really difficult. Um, and, and I suppose that's why we celebrate them so much when, when you know, uh, a game comes out that is really special or magical. We, 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 we rave about it because, you know, everyone knows how hard it is for, for all those things to come together and for that spark to be there. So what, what is the ideal relationship between a publisher and a creative, um, if there ever is one? Well, funnily enough, I mean, you know, if you look at the big publishers and the studios that they work with, a lot of the studios are owned by them. You know? So once, I mean, and, and you know, if a, a studio and the publisher are all owned by the same people and all have the same bosses, um, it's, it, it's much easier for them to align their interests when they all have separate owners and separate shareholders. And it, 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 it takes a little bit of a dance to get everyone on the same page. Um, and, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of the challenge. I mean, um, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's a difficult one because there's no real um, for magic formula here. I mean, if there was a magic formula, EA would have worked it out and um, they'd be the only game publisher on the planet. But there, there isn't a formula, luckily, or thank God, um, and it allows for, you know, these, you know, unlimited combinations of, of things to come together. But, I mean, I think um, my advice to all uh, independent developers is just, just be, be very careful about um, how you, you sort of, what your short-term plans are as opposed, as opposed to your long-term plans. And always, you know, have one eye on the long-term and one eye on the short-term. Obviously, next month you've got to pay wages. But... Uh, obviously, you know, the other, on the other hand, uh, in two or three years, you still need to have control of that company. And, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a big balancing act. And I mean, I think, um, it's okay when there's sort of one person, two, three people, it's much more manageable. And, but when I see um, people getting really sort of, uh, uh, finding themselves in difficult positions, it's when their studios hits that magic number of about 30 or 40 people, it starts getting really hard to sort of, to, to, to manage as an independent independent unit but um and a lot of um um uh, developers you know who get to that size sort of kind of come to the conclusion that uh, maybe i should publish my own games as well and that way i can sort of you know um manage the the, the cash flow a little more but then you know there's the other hand of bringing the expertise on to cover that part of it um and um uh, and developing that side of the business which is a very very different type of business than you know developing a game uh, one of the one of the things that you were mentioning before, how um, you know the dangers of chasing trends, right? Especially for a publisher, or uh, how how chasing trends can lead to uh, 
to to having developers on the other side making surprise hits, right? Just just doing the unexpected, doing something different. Uh, one of the biggest topics that have been going through at least this podcast, but into the game dev community, is the whole streaming thing, right? Streaming to me, I've always been. Um, not sure about because it is, it's very much a part of game development, but not a part of game developers <laughs> control, right? It is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, especially for indie games where I feel like it's still a very contained experience. Uh, and in most cases, you can't make it Red Dead, right? So you can't experience mm-hmm. what what streaming streamability of a game usually has success in, which is uh, replayability, multiplayer, all this stuff. Uh, yeah. another, another point you were talking about how multiplayer was a trend before. Every game had to have a multiplayer. And we, you know, we would have games like Spider-Man, God of War, a bunch of indie games that don't follow that formula and came success uh so what i'm asking you is like i would love to kind of hear your thoughts about you know the last couple of months especially uh streaming community uh game developer community have been talking about you know what what is this model because now that twitch facebook youtube all these huge platforms uh talk you know, directly to, to streamers, but game developers are kind of left out of that talk, which is very odd. Uh, I, I think the last biggest thing was the whole DMC thing with Twitch taking taking videos down that had music. But, you know, for some reason, eight hours of gameplay isn't a part of that factor, which is kind of weird, too. Um, and I feel free to, to kind of dodge this. I know this is a touchy subject, but being an indie game publisher, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about that, that whole, whole side of game developers that gets weird when people start talking about it. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned about that is developing for particular trends. And, um, you know, the development cycles are so long. I mean, even even short development cycles uh, from from scratch is like three years um, uh, or, or, you know, two years is just like, you know, a sprint. Um, but even what is popular now, what is trending and happening now is not necessarily going to be um, popular in two or three years. That is the hard thing. And if you try and, um, uh, uh, you know, make what's popular today, I can almost guarantee you that in three years um, people would have moved on. Um, uh, you know, it, it, so, so I, I kind of, you know, and again, it comes back to that as a publisher, what are you looking for in a game? You're just looking for something different and something magical that, you know, maybe no one else has spotted um, simply because, um, you know, it's, it's very hard to sort of you know, predict what the future is. I mean, the closest way of predicting the future is trying to find young people and looking what they're doing today. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I suppose Fortnite, Roblox, Minecraft are really you know, big examples of, um, you know, what sort of 10, 12-year-old kids are doing because those kids are, um, you know, essentially um, being trained in mechanics that they will be looking for in four or five years or or, or take for granted in four or five years when they're sort of looking for more adult gaming experiences. Um, And uh, so, so, I mean, you know, if if you're going to try and predict the future, you can, um, I suppose, start with... With, you know your future customers what are they doing now what are they interested in now how are they consuming content now what are their expectations going to be uh, in you know four years five years when you've defi- you know finished building your masterpiece um uh so so that that's one part of it moving on to the streaming part of things so yeah that's a that's a really you know 
bizarre one because I I understand how entertaining. Uh, hang on, sorry, sorry. Uh, no just, yeah. Guys, please, thanks. Sorry. Okay, as I said, no, kids at home. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I got some so, of my yeah, own. Too, the, yeah. the, the, whole, the whole streaming uh, thing is, is really, really amazing. I mean, I understand how um, you know, entertaining it is to watch people playing games. Um, but from a developer's point of view, you don't make any revenue from that. But, um, you know, on the other hand, what else do we do? Because, you know, traditional media, traditional gaming media has almost been rendered irrelevant. Um, so, um, you know, I really, you know, streaming, streamers, people talking about your game, uh, everyone's the media now. Um, it's really hard to manage, um, but, but, it, but it is part and parcel of, of the, you know, the, the environment that we work with. Um, so... You you need as many people playing your game or streaming your game as possible, but it's not always easy or, or you know possible to sort of manipulate that. I mean, you know, I think we've all tried it. We've all tried, you know, paying streamers. We've all tried, um, you know, uh, giving out tons of free keys. But you know, it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's it's it's. Uh, I think for it to work, it just needs to be genuine and it just needs to sort of, you know, come from a place um, of passion and, you know, just have that magical ingredient, be the right pla- right thing at the right particular point in time and it will work on its own, um, you know. So, a- a- again, I mean, I-, I wish I had the recipe and I could just share, oh, there, this is what you do. You do this, you do that, you do this, you talk to this guy and you get this guy to stream it and you're going to have a hit. But it ain't that easy. It really isn't. It's it's a whole combination of lots of things, um, and um, you know, and streamers are, are now a big part of it. YouTubers, um, and and it, it's also oddly enough, and it's the negative as well. You sometimes got to, um, uh, uh, I, I suppose, um, court the negative um, because the negative is as useful to you as the positive. If you know, if you know what I mean, because mm-hmm. you know, positive, positive. Having someone say, "Oh, look, it's a really nice game. It's a great game. It's a beautiful game. It's a pretty game." Um, it's not going to travel. If someone says, "If someone says it's the most offensive damn thing that I've ever seen in my life," I was absolutely shocked and appalled. That will travel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it it throws up some interesting dilemma for marketers because it's sort of like, well. How do you control? You need the negative, but how do you control it? Um, the positive's great, but it doesn't help you. Um, um, you know, so it's kind of um, you know a, a, a difficult one. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I mean, it's, I, I wish I had the answer to to it, but um, you know, I, I'll give you a good example of um, something that is courted negatively or perceived as negatively, but it's worked really well. I mean, going back to a game that we're releasing soon uh, on PlayStation and Xbox, Dark. Now, people know Dark. The first time people heard of Dark was an incident that happened with Epic Game Store um, that Epic wanted to capture to take the game and wouldn't take it unless it was exclusive mm-hmm. and the developer said no no I'm not going to do that and then wrote a blog on reddit about um, uh, why he chose not to go down that path 
And um, there, there became like a, a secondary sort of conversation. It's like, ah, oh, the big guy always putting, you know, pushing the, 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 the little guy and throwing their weight around. And that kind of angle allowed it to develop a life of its own. And it became this, this, this amazingly viral, viral story. And as a result, people were streaming the game, people were YouTubing the game. I mean, that, that sort of um, independent media was, or that, that, that sort of media of one was, you know, taking on a life of its own and, and the game was, was building. Um, and then um, there was another article uh, that the developer wrote on the amount of publishers that actually came to them and the sort of kind of game pictures that they were getting about, you know, you'll never succeed without us, you know, mm. you'll need to give us your IP, um, all these types of things. Um, and, and, again, I think a lot of people sort of identified or resonated with that sort of story and because it was kind of, to some degree, a, a, a little bit negative. It travelled a lot more, more so than uh, if it was just a simple like you know, hey, this game is really, really great. This game is fantastic. Um, so it's it's a delicate, delicate topic, and um, you know, it, it's it's really difficult to find a balance. I mean, sometimes it can go, uh, it, it can go wrong <laughs> um, when you know, uh, and 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 I, I suppose the. The, the best example, the, the, I suppose the most punishing example for me um, personally was um, Sky, was sort of um, Elder Scrolls Online. Um, that was kind of the first time that I really sort of felt the sting of, um, uh, of YouTube and streamers. I mean, um, it, uh, I know it's going back a fair way now, a few years now, but um, when that came out, if you cast your mind back, I mean, it was absolutely torn apart. People, you know, um, basically, basically approached that as a sport and uh, tearing it apart. And that was really the first time that I'd come across it. And unfortunately, I had several, several thousand copies of it, <laughs> more than several thousand copies of it. Um, at that particular point, sitting on pallets that, 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 you know, just could not, could not be sold just because of that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is a really, a really difficult sort of, um, uh, I suppose, um, track path to tread but it you know it is part and parcel of you know the, the the environment that we work in these days and we just got to accept that that's it um you know uh, i suppose it was like the uh, the first time customer reviews came became a thing on steam everyone was like you know oh great we want to get positive reviews Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, then all these negative reviews started coming and everyone's like, oh, my God, this is just a disaster. But oddly enough, if you talk to people about how they purchase games on Steam, a lot of them will say, well, the first thing I do is read the negative uh, negative reviews. And mm-hmm. the reason I read the negative reviews is because it gives me all the reasons why I shouldn't buy it. And if I can't find someone that's that, that, that can convince me why I shouldn't buy it, well, then I'll buy it. It's so true. Um, I just kind of sign off on that like i always equate the, the game industry with the the movie industry uh the movie the industry being more transparent with data because I, I feel a lot of what games and what you guys do is very difficult because we're not very transparent with that stuff you know with box office with with genres we can go to rotten tomatoes we can go to box mo- office mojo and get an idea of what the trends are and what's what's being receptive uh to to the global audience or even the u.s audience or a certain country like it, they they have it down to to a t where 
our publishers overall across the world don't do that, which is very odd because I feel like all that data would help everybody. Uh, but even then, they still have flops and problems because there are variables that haven't been defined and probably will never be defined uh, based on all these ecosystem and changes in the environment or, uh, you know, topics or everything that culminates into something that where a, a creative uh, outlet is presented, it, it either hits or flops. And that's just stuff will always be out of our hands as game developers. Um, and so I always go back to that because it, it feels very familiar. Um, we have less data to work with, but we're, 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 we're still, it's still like a, like a gamble. Uh, just like the movie industry. Yeah, um, and look, a lot, of, a lot of people, you know, kind of have, have told me. I mean, even my boss will tell you, like, we're not competing with other games companies. We're competing with the movie business. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what this is what we're doing here. We're, we're building entertainment. We have um, perhaps true multimedia, um, whereas you know other entertainment platforms are, 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 aren't that sort of. Um, uh, is, is not considered multimedia. It's it's it's, it's uh, much more linear in its approach right. and in its production. But at the at the end of the day, um, we are competing with the amount of time. We're competing for the amount of time that an end user or a customer has, and that's twenty four hours in a day. I mean, it's never going to change. Um, whether they're watching movies, watching, listening to music, or um, playing games, um, you know, that's going to eat into their available available leisure time. So you know, we are all competing for the same thing. Um, you know, data, uh, data is a kind of an interesting one. Um, yeah, uh, there is data out there, but you know, um, it's kind of, uh, I mean, the stuff that you want is other people's competitive data. You know? yeah. So, um, but you know, I can understand why people don't want to share that sort of stuff, but, um, but you know, it, it would, would help. But I think, you know, um, the movie business is kind of, um, you know, it is, it's a lot more mature than the games business, but the, you know, um, the games business is pretty mature these days. I mean, it's pretty hard to say that it's not, but, um, you know, the games business has been around for a while, but, but I will say that, you know, the, the movie business, um, uh, is a great indicator of where we're going. Um, yeah. you know, uh, um, I, I, I'm seeing, or everyone moving. I mean, you know, there's there's Game Pass and PlayStation is sort of coming up with something that's sort of, sort of similar, and you know, it's all looking very close to a subscription. And I think we're going that, down that path. And um, you know, uh, uh, you know, and it's interesting if you have a look at the the, the the games industry. It's only really been in the last like you know five six years, maybe a bit longer, that we've had independent games, right? Um, you know, before that, the barrier to entry was way too high because things like Unreal and Unity weren't free. You know, you had to pay for these really expensive licenses, and um, so there wasn't a huge amount of, of, of competition. Um, now it's a huge amount of competition because you know um, the barrier to entry is lowered. Same things happened in film. You know, the cost of ca- cameras, production, editing, all those things have really just you know disappeared. And so there's so much content out there, and I think that's going to that's happen with, um, with with games if it hasn't happened already. Um, and, and and I think you know one of the the big lessons from Netflix and before Netflix existed or that streaming sort of uh, streaming model, everyone would say there's no way we can create quality content uh, unless we can sell it to networks, different networks around the world and have various different markets from cinema to art um, uh, planes to um, DVD to you know, uh, Asian markets, European markets, et cetera, et cetera. And it's only through putting together all those different markets and selling them to different customers at different prices can we make quality content. Mm-hmm. That was totally wrong. 
because the quality of content now that um, is being you know delivered by Netflix and uh, HBO and all those guys is just astounding. I mean, you know, the, the budgets are huge. Um, you know, it, it, it goes against everything that everyone used to say about um, the idea of streaming. And I think the same thing will happen with games as well. In that, you know, once we start committing to a a model where players pay a certain fee per month to access content, then content will kind of rise to the challenge or the quality of the content will rise to the challenge so it becomes really, really engaging. Um, you know, easier said, easier done than said or easier said than done, but, um, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, that's going to be the end result, that the, the industry will work out how to deal with a, a, a a, um, uh, a subscription gaming uh, a model and they will learn really fast and really well. And uh, I think the quality of entertainment will be, will, will continue to just get better and better. Yeah. Um, just to kind of sign off with that, with my last um, thought on that, like uh, I always, again, I think it's very, very, very common for us to always look at the movie industry, like what's next for the game industry. The one thing I, I do say that the game industry got out of first was, you know, the arcades. I mean, Dave and Buster's and all these like fun, fun weekend things to do, but it used to be an everyday thing when I was growing up. Um, but now it's just like a, just, you know, a thing that you do once in a while. Uh, the, because of the pandemic, the movie industry is <laughs> on a crazy collapse of re- rethinking of how they distribute movies. Um, and so I feel like theater is slowly making that type of exit where arcades uh, are right now. And um, unfortunately, that also means a lot of the data that we get from these box office numbers in the weekends are from theater chains. They're not from the companies themselves, right? It's, it's from the theater mm-hmm. chains for, for accounting. So I feel like that number might go away because like Netflix, they don't share their, their numbers. They don't have to, uh, which yeah. I feel is one of the one of the unfortunate things about that. I don't think theaters are going to go away forever. I think more than anything, once the vaccine is around and people can, like you said, leave their homes, they want to rush back to work. They want to go to the theaters. They want to do something. But I, I think it's it's changed in a way. It's not going to be the same where it's not a thing as much. Um and uh yeah, Netflix kind of figured that out a long time ago that people, you know, if you can enjoy people have pretty nice home sets. I mean, I know I'm I'm, I'm looking towards Black Friday to kind of upgrade my home theater system. I, I want to feel like, <laughs> you know, what I'm used to getting at the theater and some sort of normalcy there. And uh, people are, are doing that right now. They're they're upgrading their homes. Or, you know, are, are they okay with where they're living? Are they okay with who they're with? You know, uh, the kids, you know, you're stuck with them. But like everyone's reevaluating you know, their situation right now to, to, to look forward ahead of what the rest of the life is. And the pandemic, if anything, I think, uh, in that regard, at least, I mean, of course it's horrific, but in that regard, it's helping a lot of people just get their life in order. Uh, you're seeing like a huge exodus, you know, from these major cities where it used to be okay living in a closet, right? When now they're like, I don't want to live in a closet anymore. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, it has been uh, an opportunity for a lot of people to rethink their sort of situations in their life and, and what's important. And um, but but I do think that you know, um, you know, as you say, I think people will want to go back to the cinema uh, yeah. at some point. Uh, I I don't think it's going to disappear totally. I think it will be different. 
Yeah. It won't be as sort of big as it is at the moment. Um, that box office number uh, will probably be less uh, less important um, uh, as an indicator of the success of a film or, or a movie. As you say, Netflix doesn't share their share their, their data uh, only to uh, uh, their shareholders, but you know they don't share, uh, um, share individual uh, 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 production data. But you know it, it's. Um, uh, look, it's 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 an interesting time to be in entertainment, and I've been in entertainment all my life. I mean, I started off with music uh, uh, before I ended up in games, um, so I have not uh, had any exposure to anything else. It's always been entertainment, and one thing that's been constant uh, as the carriages changed and the way we distributed uh, content changed uh, is the demand for it. The demand for it never uh, ne- never abates. There's never been a time that I can remember where people did not want to be entertained. They did not want to be made feel good by a external uh, uh, story. Um, you know, and we are in the business of telling stories um, the same way the movie business is, the same way all entertainment is, um, you know, we tell stories in a different way. We tell, tell stories with multimedia and um, we tell these sort of, uh, 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 you know, big, long, complicated stories a lot of the time with, with with a little lean forward experience. So I don't think that's going away anytime soon. I'm really, you know, bullish about, you know, the, the, the entertainment industry. I mean, especially, um, you know, if you see the way companies like Minecraft and Roblox are doing, I mean, all those people are our future customers. When I didn't want to speak about that, I speak about the, the, the AAA or the, the more adult experiences that, that, that um, are, are created. All those people that they're engaging now are our future customers and they're is more than the more of them than there ever has been in history. So you know, I, I think um, the next five six years uh, are going to bode well for the, the games industry. It might look a bit different than it does today, and um, it may be a little easier to manage from a perspective of you know buying games. You might just be able to pay a, a single subscription and, and access uh, access your entire Steam and the entire Steam library. Um, but uh, um, but you know, it, it, it's going to be good. It's going to be good fun. All right. Well, we are at the hour mark and uh, I want to thank you for for coming on to the show and and sharing your experience. This is the part of the podcast where I actually hand the mic over to you to give a shout out, give attention to uh, to to any cause or any game or, or anything of that sort. So the mic is yours, Matt. Well, the only thing that you really need to know uh, about December, other than Cyberpunk, is that there is a great game called Dark Complete Edition uh, coming to Xbox One and PlayStation 4. Um, it has been one of the most successful games on PC over the uh, over the last 12 months, successful indie games. It's a um, uh, award-winning um classic of a game and i think it will become a mainstay of um the independent uh scene over the next 12 months i think you know the more people who become exposed to it who see it um are, are absolutely just gobsmacked of how beautiful it is and how well it plays so dark complete edition don't miss it all right uh, of course, the, the link and everything will be included in this this episode. Uh, I want to thank you again. And for the last, well, maybe for, <laughs> maybe not the last time. We'll, we'll keep talking, of course. Uh, that's it. For show. Thank you, guys. Uh, see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody